Well, hey, we might as well get started. Since I'm uh, my traditional five minutes late, as uh, as always, actually I'm worse than that. I think. Hey, thanks for coming out. We're a small group tonight. Oh, we are. And I don't know whether it's uh, it's me or um, uh, Genesis, but we seem to be losing some people. <laughs> and. I know it's not God's word, so it's got to be me, right? <laughs> anyway, we've been uh, dealing with the uh, with the uh, the ark and Noah and uh, the flood as we go verse by verse, and we didn't quite finish uh, chapter six of last week, um, but really just a, kind of an over overall view of kind of where we've been and what this is uh, about. In Genesis six through nine, did you know actually there is more that's put in that section dealing with the flood 6, 7, 8, and 9 than all of creation and the fall of man combined. More to that uh, that area than there is anything else that we've read so far on one subject. So it's kind of interesting. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, I think it shows... A, well, I there are three points that I think I might hit on here. Uh, can you wait a second? Yeah. And then I'll set that up. Um, one is, God has absolute freedom to do what He wants. We've already seen in His creation. He um, did it in six days. And um, that's how He chose to do it. And He's powerful to do that. He's absolute freedom to do it, right? But He also can take uh, people in judgment, and he can do 40 days of rain. So we can say a 40-day judgment, although actually it's for, what, well over a year, isn't it? But uh, as far as the rain, 40 days, 40 nights, he used that. Literally, that's the days and, and the nights that, that he did. So he, he has that kind of power and freedom. Secondly is that he hates sin. And uh, he's such a God that hates sin. He is absolutely intolerant of it, and he will not let it continue uh, in that he has to bring on a judgment. So he will not spare the guilty, and so he's going to be teaching that through here. We've seen that there are a lot of guilty people, (laughs) a lot of sinful people here, so he has to do something about it. And there's a third thing, though, that he brings forth here in that it's also God's grace while there is judgment going on. And so you see a lot about the characteristic of God in this section. And I think why he puts so much into this is that we have to remember this is taking out, except for eight people, everybody and every animal and destroying everything of creation except for the ones that he wants to restore the earth back with. So to take millions or even billions of people out uh, I think is saying uh, a lot. And so I think there is a lot of material here to show the character of God and what He um, views as far as sin is concerned and how He's controlling it, how He will make it right. So we see grace here in the offer of salvation. Um, I think it's rather profound. Uh, he shows how uh, people can escape from judgment and He prepares that ark. So when people hear that offer of grace and salvation, they really need to run to Christ, don't they? And so I think with those, that's probably why there's so much time spent on this, um, sin and judgment, but also His grace. 
that was a serious thing. There's never been anything like this since then. Not even close. Even though God has made big judgments but at one time to swallow up everything. That's incredible. And we know that everything here is absolutely word for word true. So I think that's quite um, quite probably the, some of the reasons. Yeah, Barb there. This is just kind of an aside and a question. Um, do you remember back at the beginning of chapter 6 when we were talking about the sons of God? There is a, I don't know about the total credibility of Hank Hanegraaff's Christian Research Institute. I know he's pretty scriptural, but he's not Calvinist. I know that. But he does a, a talk on there. I just saw it today, so I haven't had a chance to listen on who the sons of God were. Yeah, now he uh, he definitely would um, he would go against, um, and of course a lot of people would against the fact that that would be angels. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I think he would say that those those are just simply men. Okay. Uh, knowing Hanegraaff, I've heard him many times talk yeah. about that. Matter of fact, he uh, he doesn't give any credence at all to the fact that that could be angels yeah. and, and uh, cohabitation and such. Is he pretty credible other, for the most part? There's a lot of things. There's going to be a lot of things you're going to agree with him. There's going to be a lot of things you're going to disagree. Okay. I've found some things uh, I don't agree with him on that I, um, I know just from the way he, what he says that he's not a point yeah. Calvinist. Oh, but. no. Actually, uh, his father believed in that. Yeah. His father was very much So, you know, and then you're going to have views on um, quite a few other things. But if, if, he, if he's, he's really good dealing with cults, I agree with him on, on those things where he's an, an apologist in that sense. But you know, you're, going to, you're going to see some things and go, yeah, yeah. And other things he, I don't necessarily know if he even takes this as a literal six-day creation here. Uh, and I see whenever things can be taken in a... Um, let's say a, a non-literal way mm-hmm. it's usually he uh, that will do that I'll have to look into yeah. that Bible Answer Man book because that's one of the questions in there but I've never bothered to read yeah. what he has to say about that yeah he doesn't it's see it really created and real yeah and I think he's kind of working on that now he, pr- he probably will have a book out on it I think that's yeah. what he's working on so yeah. One of those guys, you know. I like him a, mostly because, like you said, the books he wrote on all the different yeah. cults and everything really helped you know what to stay with. Anything you. dealing with literalness, sometimes he takes in a symbolic way, okay. and sometimes you can really overdo that, and then all of a sudden the word of God uh, becomes something else. And so, yeah. Okay. I will listen with caution. Um, oh, won't we go ahead and uh, let's pray? Uh, get ready for uh, chapter 6 and 7 there. Father, we thank You for this evening and thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Holy Spirit and uh, the power of Him who uh, gives us uh, some understanding about who You are. And we do want to uh, know You and pursue You. Uh, We're thankful, Lord, for uh, Your greatness and Your holiness. And uh, may we magnify You more in our lives. In uh, Your Son's name, amen. Amen. Uh, at the end of chapter six, we kind of left off last week. And by the way, um, we'll we'll show uh, this DVD uh, in the next week or two. We we might take two weeks if we can set if it's if, if it means bringing in somebody in and they have to set things up for it and that's a big deal. Then I wouldn't worry about it. I can bring in my own 
TV mm-hmm. and set it up in here where everybody can mm-hmm. see it. I don't think it'll be yeah. a big deal. I'll just get one of the teenagers to swing by who run, they run the AV equipment. If you don't think it's a big deal, I mean, we can do that in two weeks. We'll be upstairs, so we can we can do that. It's I hate to depend upon somebody else if they have to make a special trip well, or something. If they can't so, do it, they'll tell me. Yeah, let me know, then I, yeah. I can bring something in myself. So. No, not a big deal. But we'll be showing that to you. The it's about 25 minutes, right? That's what's yeah. going back. I haven't watched okay. it for a while. That's what's so going back. That'd be really interesting. Ed. That would uh, just come right into where, where we're at. Yeah. So. In uh, verse uh, 18, he says, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself some of all food which is edible and gather it to yourself, and it shall be for food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. As we looked last week, we see that God says it and Noah just does it. You know, it's, it's not like, but, 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 but you know, we don't see him saying, well, how can that work? And what, what do we do with this? It's like, uh, okay, this is, there might be more conversation going on, but we get a lot of detail here that's uh, pretty incredible when you're thinking, this is like thousands of years ago. And we have the scripture that gives us all this. And uh, I was going to say tonight, uh, there are some other accounts that we were going to look at. I don't know if we have enough time or not, but of the flood all over the world in different uh, nations, different tribes and tongues have evidence that there was a flood, uh, at least through their traditions. Kind of uh, interesting. And anyway, this uh, section here, 18 through 22, that we didn't finish last week, is about the good news. It's the good news of the flood. Now, we, we've seen some bad news. He's going to bring on judgment, right? Judgment to all the people who uh, do not uh, believe Noah and will not enter the ark. Uh, judgment, uh, as far as God is concerned, is not indiscriminate. It is discriminate. God knows exactly who it is that He's going to judge and exactly the ones who He's going to uh, to save here, to, to bring in to this ark. God says here in uh, verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you. Uh, who's establishing this? God. He says, I will, right? You'll notice that. I will establish. Now, this is the first time that we see, see the word covenant in the Bible. Very first time. Um, in chapter 8, you will see the word covenant. Chapter 8, chapter 9, I'm sorry. That's where he'll come back and describe this covenant. All he says is covenant here. But it won't be until two chapters later that we get into the details of that, telling what that is. Uh, but seven times he'll say covenant there. Like in verse 9, and in verse 11, verse 12, verse 13, verse 15, verse 16, and you'll see right before each uh, time that covenant is mentioned, you'll see the word I or my or myself, my covenant. I am making a covenant. Verse 13, I set my bow, rainbow in the cloud, before sign a covenant between me and you. 
I will remember my covenant. I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant. So it's all about what God is doing in that. Uh, God says, I'm going to make a promise. And that's really what a covenant is. Um, when people get married, they make, a, they make a covenant. A covenant between two people. And that's really usually what you think of. A covenant is a promise. Here's what one individual is going to do for this other person, for their benefit. The other person then also makes a promise that they're going to do something with that. That's called a bilateral covenant. Bi meaning two, right? Two people, and that's usually the way a covenant works. Um, So, at this time that we see here in chapter 6, he says, I will establish my covenant. In chapter 9, what did I emphasize? I, me, myself, God is saying, and uh, there again, it's something that he's going to do. And in a covenant, you make a covenant because it will be beneficial for you, beneficial for them. Uh, sometimes there will be in that covenant um, statements that will be dealing with protection. Sometimes statements that will be dealing with provision. Here's what I'm going to provide for you in this covenant, in this agreement, in this promise. There are four other ones that you can see in the Old Testament besides the Mosaic Covenant. And I'm not going to even touch on that because uh, it's a little bit different because it actually is if you do this. These covenants are something that God does. I will do this. This is unilateral, not a bilateral. When you enter in a bilateral covenant, even though people say, I will do this, they don't do it. Matter of fact, they couldn't. They couldn't follow the law, could they? Mosaic law. But let's look at the first time that we see, besides Noah, as he enters into a covenant with Abraham. And Abraham is considered to be who? The progenitor of Israel, right? Uh, the, the Israel race uh, will come from him. And God makes a covenant in chapter 17, uh, verse 7. He says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. And that's what the Noahic covenant is. It's everlasting. To be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I'll give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So, uh, and, it, and it goes on. But what he's doing there, he's uh, uh, telling Abram that I'm going to be the one that's doing this. Um, there's going to be a sign of this covenant. The sign's going to be circumcision. That'll show that this is something that, that is for real. But God makes this with him when Abram was 99 years old. And so, uh, starts telling him this. And it's something that God will do. This is a unilateral covenant. It's a covenant that is what God's going to do, providing and protecting them. Uh, and that's not only Abraham, but it'll be passed on to Isaac and then to Jacob. Jacob has the 12 sons. That just keeps on going down the line. And it's really revealing ultimately what this is all about, the Messiah. It's really building on that. So that's Abraham. Then in Numbers, you get another covenant. You usually don't think of this one too much, but it's the priestly covenant. And uh, it's in chapter 25 of Numbers that there is this one priest that he's going to work through. And he has such a zeal 
for the holiness of God that um, God makes a covenant of a perpetual priesthood with him through that, that family line. Uh, in verse 10, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. So this priest did exactly what he was supposed to do. He was a go-between between the people and God. What a mediator. A great priest he was. Therefore say, Behold, I give him my covenant of peace, and it shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the sons of Israel. So, um, quite a covenant between um, this one priest and uh, which will continue on through his family line all the way on throughout. Uh, so he's made a covenant with Abraham. He's made a covenant with uh, the, the priest here. Then there's one that most people remember. It's uh, found in Second Samuel. And this is the Davidic covenant. And it's really taking that original covenant that he has made with Abraham and he gives us a little bit more to extend upon that. That's really what these covenants do. They give us more and more of God's purpose and plan. 2 Samuel 23.5 Truly is not my house so with God, for He has made an everlasting covenant with me, ordered in all things and secured for all my salvation and all my desire, will He not indeed make it grow? There's more we can go to, but what, what he's saying here, as David does writes his last song here, uh, he is saying that God made a covenant with me. And uh, it's a promise that there's going to be a king that's going to be coming through the line of David. Of course, he has Solomon, who is a picture of the Messiah, Solomon means uh, shalom, right? And of course, that's peace. And of course, who is the Prince of Peace? Jesus Christ. So he points to that. It's going to come through not only Israel and not only Judah, but he's going to come through the line even narrowed down even more through who? Through the line of David. And uh, Jesus was even called what? The Son of David because he came through that line. So that covenant is really pointing to that coming Messiah. And then there's the ultimate one, which really is all of these wrapped up into one, in one sense, I guess you could say. Uh, and I'm doing this really quick, and we might go into a little more when we get into chapter 9. But in Jeremiah 31, verse 31, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This new covenant is not the Mosaic covenant. It's not the law. But this covenant is based upon the work of the Messiah. So he says in verse 32, Not like the covenant with which I made with their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, uh, not like Moses, I mean, My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, they shall be my people. 
They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know Me. Talking about intimately knowing. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. And of course he goes on and he shows how binding this is um, to, to them. To us. That's us. Is that the same thing that they call the covenant of grace? Um, yeah, um, there are different terminologies. Um, there is a there's a sense that there's the uh, the covenant of of redemption, the covenant of works, covenant of grace, as um, it's built into a covenant theology. Um, it's not you don't see it in the scripture. I can see how it is said, and 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 it might be a way of. Uh, maybe organizing in your minds that yeah the whole plan of salvation is really the covenant of grace uh, and and this is the ultimate right here this Jeremiah 31 Ezekiel will talk about that too and he puts a new heart into us and it's because of Christ our sins are forgiven right the work is done the new covenant and Christ offers the um, at the last supper the Passover and he says this is my covenant Right that I'm making with you, and really he was making uh, um, he's putting forth a proposal, <laughs> and uh, of course it's all all his work that he did though. So this one's not the new covenant. The new covenant is the one in the New Testament. Yeah, and in Jeremiah he's saying one day this will come about, and 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 it comes about because of Christ. So but the new covenant really is something that God has already promised in a sense to all those who believe, like Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, all of that is added up. And by the time you get to the New Testament, we see that those covenants come alive in the person of Christ. All the people in the Old Testament are saved because of the new covenant. The old covenant would be considered what's found in Hebrews 8, which is the Mosaic covenant or the law. Okay, And that's... That that is canceled because they couldn't come up with their part. They couldn't do the part. We couldn't either. <laughs> and Jesus spoke that. Which one? This one in Jeremiah. That that is called the new covenant. That's, Matter of fact, he even says that he says, "I will make a new covenant with you," and uh, that's prophesied and it's fulfilled through the person of Christ. So, we see the word covenant that God does for the very first time. So, I took out a lot of time just to, to do that. But it's really important because covenants are, are promises for us. And if people don't want to be in part of that, then if they're not in the covenant, then they will be judged. That's what's happening here in chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. But we see grace all throughout this, don't we? So, it'll be explained in chapter 9. Uh, so the model person who is in that covenant, the one who will escape judgment, and this is this is the same for today too, but back at that time for Noah and the other seven, first of all, it's by grace, right? It's by grace that they're in there. Why are they in there and not other people in there? Well, it's the grace of God. Uh, we know that He is righteous, but why is He righteous? Let's because it's the righteousness of God, not His own righteousness. If it's His own righteousness, then it's just like Paul was whenever he looked at his whole list of righteousnesses of how good he was, and he said, I had to trash that, because that's all it was, it was rubbish. 
so it had to be God's righteousness. He had the righteousness of Christ, even though Christ hasn't been incarnated yet. He had the same righteousness that we have because of Christ. He looked to the cross. We, we look back. Anyway, that's one reason. That's a, that, that's a model person who escapes judgment. What is it? Well, it's by grace. Another thing is, is that he was justified. Um, it's by grace. It's that he is justified by grace, right? He is declared righteous, and he's called a righteous person. And he is also sanctified. Uh, he's, he's blameless in the sense of because of that sin. We, we know he has an ongoing righteousness, uh, even though is there sin in his life? Well, we'll see his sin later, right? He still sins in his nakedness, his, uh, the drunkenness. Uh, believe it or not, Noah. And uh, he walked with God. Uh, but that's the kind of person that escapes judgment. They have the grace of God. They're justified. They're sanctified. And, of course, they will be glorified. Uh, we, we walk with God even right now. Um, uh, God's covenants, well, they're unilateral. They're made by God because we can't fulfill them. Number two, they're eternal. They're forever. It's not like, I'll make this covenant, but in case you do too many bad things, I'm going to have to cut it. Well, no, this is eternal, as we'll see all those those covenants are dealing with. This, this is something that will last because it's something that He does. It's established by grace. God is sovereign. He's independent. He's unilateral. He obligates Himself to save the family of Noah. And that's what's going on here. He is obligating Himself. Now, there is obedience. There's 120 years of obedience of Noah but God is the one who came to him and told him to do that. And that was quite a privilege to get that kind of service going. And it's really just for his family, but it's offered to everybody else. It's offered to the whole world. And um, that's something that we can't forget. God can spare people from that judgment. So, uh, we see Noah's obedience uh, in chapter 7, verse 5. It says... Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Hey, I'm going to have the animals come to you. As he says uh, in, at the end of verse 20, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. They're just going to come to you and you just let them go on in. Uh, so, but Noah is going to go in that ark. He, he has built it along with people in his family and who knows how many other hundreds of people he could have had working on this. Tens, dozens, maybe a couple. I don't know. But we know he got into the ark. Uh, verse nine. What about those other people? They didn't. There went into the ark to, uh, to Noah by twos, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. Noah, he's there. Verse sixteen. Those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded them, and the Lord closed it behind him. Get to that in a moment. Noah got into the ark. We get into the ark. Who's our ark? Ha ha. Pretty easy, isn't it? All that flood, all the judgment is coming on, you know, and all the the craziness of sin and everything is just bouncing everything around. We're in the world, and we have our trials and tribulations. Here we are in the ark. We're safe in Christ. Look at First Peter three eighteen. Three eighteen. For Christ also died for sins once for all. That's all He had to do, wasn't it? One time. It's finished. The just 
for the unjust. He's just and who are we? The unjust. (laughs) So that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, that's Christ, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also He went and made proclamations to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. And we're not talking water baptism here. (laughs) And Peter's going to tell us that. But uh, some will base their baptism, water baptism, that saves on this verse. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh. (laughs) He says it right there, doesn't he? but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to Him. So, we're baptized into Christ. There's that resurrection from the death and He comes uh, uh, as He is alive and we're placed into Him. We get into the ark. Born again, yeah. So, Peter took that great analogy. Okay, now, let's get into God shut the door. You're talking a lot about the covenant and talking about the ark. Well, that is our covenant now. The ark is the same thing that we're making with us. But now we answer that covenant because God puts us into that covenant through Christ. That's our covenant. Yep. The ark, yeah. we, uh, we have the privilege of entering into that, didn't we? Mm-hmm. He says, Come. And you know what he says here in verse 1 of chapter 7? Then the Lord, that's Yahweh, this communicating God that uh, uh, establishes the relationship with with Israel and they know Him by name uh, as the writer puts it down here, Moses. Then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark. Come on in. Come on in. You got that. You and all, all your household for you alone. I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. So we have we have a security here, um, security for the ones who are righteous. There's a seal that happens, and if you look in uh, Ephesians four thirty. Now this this passage when it first starts out it sounds what it sounds kind of strange because it says. Um, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The day of redemption is whenever we uh, get our glorified bodies. We've already been redeemed, but there is a day of redemption when we hey, we trade in these bodies eventually for a new body. But... Um, you're sealed. You're sealed. Um, there's the, um, the security mark there. We're put, we're put in Christ. We're put in this ark. Look in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. This is dealing with the uh, the sealing and the shutting of the door and such. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy who is true, who has the key of David, that's Christ, who opens 
and no one will shut, and who shuts, and no one open, says this. There, he's the one who opens the door. He's the one who shuts the door. The Noah Ark has the door open. The door is laid out there. It's been open. People can see in there. It's an open door. And then he gives, when he tells Noah about this, he gives seven more days, a whole week, for that door to be open. As you'll read later in Genesis here, right? Um, Come into the ark. Enter into the ark. Well, we have all sorts of invitations in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter um, 55. You'll remember this one maybe. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Isaiah 55.1 And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. If you, don't have any, if you don't have any money, come buy it anyway. Come on in, right? Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. doesn't cost you anything. Come, though. And so there's the invitation. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. I, and so, this is taking an analogy. I know there, there's a symbol here, but I think that art... Uh, although it's real, and it did happen, and Noah did uh, enter, and they did, but um, there's this invitation that is to us. Matthew 11:28, Jesus said the same thing. Something along the same line. You might be familiar with this. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come on into the ark. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But we can identify with that as Christians, can't we? Come to me. Um, John six thirty-seven. Yeah, it's uh, our own burdens that we put on, and even as Christians, we need to take that one to heart, don't we? First, it can be to one who's not a Christian yet and says, come to me and, and take that burden off. But we as Christians will mount burdens up on ourselves. And he's saying, hey, I'm the one to come to. John 6.37 says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. The one who the Father gives, they will come there. It's amazing. Revelation 22.17, right at the end of the book, right at the very end, almost one of the last verses, 22.17. Look at the invitation here. The Spirit, Holy Spirit, and the Bride, that's the church, say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty, Come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. That's not like Isaiah 55 there. The water of life without cost. Um, So come into the ark. What an invitation. Nobody went in but the eight. Hmm. And Noah had been preaching all that time. Now, you got to imagine. Now think about this. God starts bringing the animals. People don't know it yet. They're out making fun of Noah. And let's say some of them are actually helping him do this ark. Maybe he's paying them on the side. Maybe he could be a very rich person. You know, um, 
how did he gather all this wood up? Um, he must have the, the means. Definitely God provided here. However it is, a lot of people started having second thoughts when they started seeing these animals arrive. Where did these guys come from? You ever thought about that? What's going on? And we usually think, well, Noah went out and gathered them all. No, God brought them to him. Just like he did before when he named them. Remember that? Huh. That's what God does. That's how good he is, you know. And so they start coming up there. And you know, the whole countryside seems to be turning into some kind of a walking zoo. <laughs> they're just rambling up there, you know. And they're coming to the ark. Somehow God made them get up and move. How? We don't know. It's not told. Uh, but if, if God wants all this to happen, He certainly can. You know, However He did it, that's fine. Um, but all these animals coming, people are going, what's that? I never saw that before. What's, go- what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. And then you have all these birds. You know, it's springtime. And if you if you put a little feet out there, boy, they'll really come around. You know, the Orioles and the Finches right now and and the Cardinals and Robins and on and on and on. Cowbirds. What? Cowbirds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the crows. They even come around. Mockingbirds. All those, it's kind of neat this time of the year and you go out and watch, you know, and they sit around the trees and, and then they take off and then come back. And they're coming from all directions. Well, I am sure that they were coming in much more of, the, of a presence that people would know as uh, as they're coming in and they're probably looking up and seeing things coming down while they're looking up and it lands in their eye and they go, what is, is this Noah's fault? Is it, they had zeroed, it's just like the animal zeroed in on the boat. It's, it's like it has this thing that's drawing, it's like a magnet. <laughs> they're going to go to the boat and Noah's going to say, all right, fella, come on in. Right on in. <laughs> they come on in but the other people don't. And that's incredible in and of itself. Yeah. Most animals are going to run away from people. Why would they go in there? Yeah. The acid flood that talks about the animals being afraid of. You know, I can't remember how it says it in here, but the animals will have a fear. We'll have dominion over men. Where we where we dominion over the animals. We can eat meat or eat yeah, and the animals. Yeah, that's right. It, things change. <laughs> things change at that time. I, it probably wasn't there wasn't too much need of to be fearful that much at that time. Uh, even I, I don't know how much that would have been, but uh, it was definitely different. Uh, they kept pouring in day after day. These animals keep coming. It had to be rather unnerving for people who have been making fun of Noah. You know, <laughs> starts maybe. Thinking, what? I wonder if there is any truth to this. And there's not herds of animals coming because they're they're coming in twos, except for the clean animals, which are going to be seven, and they're going to use those to repopulate uh, the earth. And also, there will be sacrifices that'll be made. So there are reasons why it's more than twos on the clean animals. Um, so there's seven of each type in it. Yeah. This is kind of breaking away from your point, but just, I just had to think about it. Down in the Galapagos Islands, one of the things they, they find very interesting is those animals aren't afraid of humans, and they huh. don't understand. Yeah, that was in that video we watched. Yeah. The, the animals will come right up to them. Mm-hmm. They're like, That's right. they're curious, which they don't really understand 
Why? They don't see enough humans to no, be able get to the people down there, that'll change. Yeah, get enough there, right? <laughs> 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 Start bringing the guns. <laughs> but you keep talking about Noah preached to him for 120 years, but a whole bunch of those people, didn't they, I'm trying to get back to that, that timeline thing, they already had heard all this from all those other guys that died before the flood, but they didn't die... Too much before the flood. That story's going around. How can I miss it? Yeah, yeah. And those guys were around telling people about what was, you know, I mean, they didn't get the revelation that Noah had, but they were there telling them about God and telling them about sin and, you know. That's good insight. I think some of it would have registered somewhere. Absolutely. And you know what? Before the first raindrops would have been helpful. <laughs> How about the people today? How many people have heard of the Noah's Ark? Even, I mean, unbelievers. Don't you think most people here in America? I mean, you know, they they know the the little story books, you know, and they they laugh it off. I'm sure. But they've heard about it, haven't they? I think most people have heard something about the flood. Have you ever ran into somebody that's never heard about the Great Flood? I mean, it's possible. They probably don't know any details about it, but they probably heard something about it. And if they haven't, what a great opportunity, right, to share the gospel. But most people, and so I'm getting to thinking, they heard that through tradition. It's not that most people have picked up the Bible and read about the flood, but they've heard about it, and those people were the same way. They knew there was there was truth about it. There was a tradition that had gone on. So Definitely. Everything Noah was saying, everything they heard, they had... They had some foundation for that. They had heard some of that before. People are held accountable because they do know things about God. And, of course, he's put that. There is an eternity in everybody's hearts. There's something there. You know, I mean, in the sense that they know that there's a God. There's something more than this. Uh, they suppress it. Romans chapter uh, 2, chapter yeah, chapter one says, yeah, they suppress they the truth. For it. It's an empty feeling. Yeah, and they, and they search for it, and you know, what I speak is a relatively new comfort in all the wrong places. You look, you're trying to satisfy that. Mm-hmm. But no matter how hard you try, you can't find anything, and then you get this defeatist attitude, like, why do I even live? You know, all I do is live, and I go to work so I can pay bills, and then I die. You know, know what? Just has, has absolutely That's no an need. interesting point. I was thinking about that the other day. I was thinking, you know, you know, I can understand why people would want to commit suicide. I'm not saying that they should, but I can understand totally because if you got to a point where nothing was satisfying you and you tried everything, there's nothing else, and I don't, I just don't like this life. I can see why if they're if they don't know Christ, why wouldn't they want to commit suicide? Why wouldn't they think about that? Even as that, after they get to that place and some Christian comes along, tells them about Christ and they just get angry. They don't want to hear that. That's the natural answer, isn't it? Yeah. They don't want to hear that. They and that's what's happening here. They don't want if well, they I mean, know the it, they don't want it. It says at the very end, people will still be <laughs> really angry and blaming God for everything. And some of those people might even been people that said they were atheists. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, incredible. And they blame God, but who made the choice to be an atheist? Mm-hmm. 
the animals. Uh, I would tend to think, as uh, a lot of your creation scientists would say, these animals uh, weren't old. They weren't huge. They weren't. Big. Why would they have to be? Why couldn't you bring in the young, the smaller ones? Uh, could have been, you know, the old ones, but uh, probably no older than a year or two. Uh, a year or two for an animal is already getting some time developed on it, but uh, it's it's going to take up less space. And we looked at it last week, and we said, okay, listen, uh, there's enough for 125,000 species on that ark. If you take all that, those dimensions, add all up the numbers and such, at least that much. And the way that we could figure it out with all the animals and, and with all the ones that have gone extinct and everything, the most that we could come up with is maybe 80,000. Did we say that? Or 65,000 or something. 85. Yeah. So there's still another 40,000 or so that we could bring there. And so with them small people, we really have problems with the ark because how could you get that many animals on the ark? Did we see the size of this thing? That's probably what that video is going to bring out, right? Do, do they do they say something of, of that nature? Yeah. So uh, we shouldn't have any problem with that at all. So I think this is a great witnessing tool for all of us. We probably know all of these things. We've heard of these. But I think it can kind of help us because people say, oh, they're just, you know, the, the fables and the... the kids' stories in there, but those are not really real. And you say, well, why would you say that they're not real? Uh, well, do you have a problem with, with with the big arc, the floating? Yeah. Well, I'm just going to say, some, the, we as Christians have been teaching in our Sunday school classes these little cutesy huh? bathtub arcs with the barely enough room, the giraffes don't have enough room there, little heads are sticking out, the, or the little heads, the, the heads are sticking out, and, and, and so they... Don't you think that's what people think that Christians believe that that's what it looked like? This little tiny, so. little crowded. Yeah. How many crowds yeah. do you see like that? Too? Yeah, and it was a crowded little yeah. thing that wasn't very stable in the water. Well, at one time we used to sell those kind of things at our store. No, I was going to say, I was <laughs> it was ridiculous. On a little picture, a little bathtub ark. Who's going to sell one of those things? Square box thing. Yeah. Hey, you can't, can't get it into the store, right? But the idea is... I got yeah. one of those little bands of arts as a music box. I don't want something like that sitting on my counter. Hey, you don't want this big lumber yeah. something, right? I know I'm getting up my wood. So it's all wood. But it makes the value of it. Yeah, scripture. Yeah, it shows the value of it. Yeah, it just really... It's really the same thing. Right. We shrink God down. Yep. That's right. And that's that's what's happening to the book of Genesis. If you start with if the creation is taken from oh it's not really six days, come on, and now we've ballooned it into not thousands but millions. No, not millions. We're talking billions of years. Christians are now preaching and teaching this, writing books in bigger numbers than ever, and and we keep getting more evidence. Uh, geological evidence that we keep finding for like uh, Noah's Ark, uh, I mean the whole flood thing. I mean, and and people still want to go with the fact that uh, their own little fact that uh, this is really not literal. Is there a Veggie Tales on the flood? Absolutely. I'm wondering how they treat it. If there is, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you think it was. <laughs> 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 
Their giraffe is going to hang out at the top of the ark, okay? Am, am I getting a little over your head today? No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead, okay. Just kidding. Yeah, once once you put a little doubt on, well, that really doesn't mean that, then we we find something else. Well, that doesn't mean that. And there are many. I, 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 I just shudder to think there's probably more people that don't really believe this to be literal in the Christian realm that actually than believe it. And you might think, oh, come on, that can't be. Because well, you're ingrained the way that you think, the way that you interpret Scripture. But with what is going out there today, they say, oh, sure, those things couldn't happen. But anyway, not only liberal, I'm talking conservative churches. That's what says, yeah. And when, whenever they get this intellectual stuff coming out of the seminary, what, what's the pastor going to teach? You know, he teaches the Bible, but now he's going to teach it with the way that his seminary taught it. Well, if they didn't teach it in the way that it should be interpreted, now you're going to pass that off onto hundreds and thousands of people. Those seminaries, there aren't that many good ones today. There are ones that used to be conservative, and now a lot of things are leaking in. So, you know. That's a bad word to be conservative. It's what we're talking about tonight. It would sound ridiculous to people. They'd be making fun of us, you know, for saying this is truth. You know, this is this is the word of God. This is to be taken the way that we read it. But, um, you know, when you look in Psalm 104. You see that the mountains are pushed up, the valleys are pushed down, the seas are gathered into their great chasms, and you have great valleys, and God is going to do that. I mean, there's going to be a tremendous uh, cataclysmic event. It's just um, just something that is something that's we can't even imagine how this went on. Noah obeys. Uh, you have the shutting of the door. Noah went through the door opening. And you can imagine one of his, let's say one of the people that might have been helping him, or maybe they were just making fun of him. Uh, Noah, how are you gonna, how are you gonna shut that door? How are you gonna get that thing shut, Noah? Uh, you got the bolts and the locks, but uh, that's for when it's it's the door is up and and it's shut. But how are you gonna shut it? This is a big door. What does it say in verse? Um, verse 12, right? No, not 12. Verse uh, 16. Those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded them, and the Lord closed it behind him. The Lord closed it. Okay, you've been, these people have been seeing all these animals come in. And now they're probably still making fun of Noah after he has ushered them in there. And they're probably, you know, they could be talking about the door. How are you going to get this thing, you know, shut? And i got a feeling there's a little bit of hush going with the people now. Huh. 
all of a sudden you hear this massive door and it's making its move to get shut. And there's nobody doing it. You don't see it. God is the one who's doing it. And it does it, let's say, in slow motion to them. <laughs> it might have been real fast, but imagine this as they're thinking and it's really it's, it's quiet. A dead quiet. And it shuts. Boy, it's got to be real quiet now. Because they they don't see Noah shutting this. If they're watching this, which I would tend to think that... I think it would be kind of spooky uh, to see something like happen. spooky when all the critters got on the ark and the people are still standing there and everything has happened just the way Noah said it was going to happen. And they got this small space of time left where they could still get on the ark. They were given those seven days. Yeah. Jesus said something like, as in the days of Noah, they were marrying and eating and drinking and just carrying it on while all of this this news is out and they just carry on like they've done before. Watching this and after I've listened to Noah all this time and all those critters went on the ark and I'm not standing out here anymore. I just can't imagine. I can't imagine these people just standing there. That's what they're doing today. Peter says the same thing. In Peter, we got the same thing. He says people are saying, ah, oh, people have been saying that all along, that uh, God's going to come back, right? So he's talking about the second coming and the judgment that will happen there. Wow. Uh, you know what? I think a lot of people are saying, see you in the morning, Noah. <laughs> Uh, after God set the door, the time of judgment was really there. And only those who went through the doorway, that family of eight, the animals, the plants, everything that they brought in there, um, it's too late now. This thing shut. And Noah's family, they obeyed God. This was His command. It was God who commanded the ark to be built just as the way that He wanted it. And... Uh, He's using Noah's family to be able to do what he has in mind to keep the human race going and the animals and all of his creation. And this is how he's designed this. And all along we can think of uh, John 10.9 where Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The opportunity is given and the opportunity is lost. <laughs> Remember the uh, ten virgins? Five of them were ready, you know, and five of them weren't. And the other five went to go get get their thing. Their light lit, and they came back, and it was too late. So anyway, that's a incredible thought. It's it, it's kind of scary to think, you know, there are people today that are outside the ark. And they're seeing all this happening. They're hearing all these things and yet they don't want to come in. Hmm. Well, we're going to talk about uh, the fountains of the great deep, the plate tectonics and the continental drift and that catastrophic breakup that happened. But uh, it's too late. The door is shut. Shut the door. Anyway, thank you guys for coming out. It's, uh, Are you going to go through the next one? The worldwide evidence?
Yes. Mm -hmm. you know, worldwide, the evidence of the traditions and, yeah, the geological evidence. When I, in, uh, when I was in college, my professor thought it was very funny that every known um, um, society, society uh, and this included societies that were very small and, and way out in the, you know, outer regions, he said, every society has a story about a great flood. He actually said that. And he thought that was He's kind right. of funny. Isn't that silly? They all had the same They were all that way. They all had the same story. And it should be on, like, terms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 you have to do that. Duh. You have to do that. the high world, but they all know about yeah, right. the flood. Yeah. Isn't that interesting how that... Well, he, and he, he had brought it up that there was a, there was a community of uh, society that uh, had virtually been untouched by the outside, and uh, the explorers or whoever they were went out there, missionaries or whatever, and what they noticed is that one at a time, one person from the village at a time would walk away from the village, and they didn't know where that person went, and they would be gone for several hours or maybe a day, and then they would come back, and another person would go. So they decided to follow them, and they followed him out, and there was a ridge, and the person would sit on the ridge and worship. Hmm. One person a day from this little tiny village. And they also had a story of a worldwide flood. <laughs> I just thought, I, and I'm listening to the, the professor who doesn't believe in anything. I argued with him constantly, and I'm lucky I got out of class. <laughs> but, but yeah. He didn't believe in any scripture or anything, but he just thought that was so silly. People are so silly. Outside looking in, they cannot, by the natural mind, though. I know. I mean, I even brought it up in class. You know, don't you think maybe there was a worldwide flood? <laughs> if all these other people said it, and we're not even talking Christians here, that even we're talking other religions. Oh yeah, societies that, that don't even have religions. There you go. That's